Okay, thank you very much. So, our lesson is gonna be part of, it's breaking to two. It's not kind of like a series, but it's just breaking to two. So, if you open your Bible to Colossians 3.17, somebody just read it, I think, in a little while ago, but Colossians 3.17, it gave us one of the heads up of what we're gonna talk about tonight. If you, listen, if you read the words that's going on, it will give you a heads up. But for right now, why is God so particular or why is God so direct towards us? Why don't God let us do whatever he wants us to do? Why does God punish us or correct us when we go against his will? I mean, he gave us the free will, but why is he so strict on us if he gave us the free will? He should let us do whatever we want, right? Sometimes we just think of the way that God gave us the free will, but we never actually think or try to think through it. So tonight we're going to find a way that is going to be interesting to us. Why do we need his instruction in the first place? Do we actually need his instruction in the first place? Do God love us enough to trust us? If he loves us enough to trust us and he gave us the free will, he should actually know that we're going to do whatever he wants us to do. We're going to go through some example of God's instruction. Adam and Eve, God gave them instruction, just one instruction. Just look about this. This whole thing that we're going to go through tonight is going to also jump into, back into why is God so particular about what he wants us to do. Adam and Eve, God gave them just one job to do. That job was not to eat the fruit of the good and evil. But what happened? I guess as a human, sometimes we are curious in some ways that we just want to find out what's going to happen. If you li- I mean, if you read the Bible, you know, it tells us that when Eve ate the fruit, it actually revealed what God told them that it's going to do. But also, it tells them that they're going to die. Not just at the end when you eat the fruit of the good and evil that you're going to die, but you're going to die in the future. What is the big deal? I mean, come on, God. It's just a fruit, right? What is the big deal in just punishing them or just kicking them out of the garden? The fruit, it does its job that it was supposed to do, but also there's a consequence you come to already, you know. If we go now again, God, and when you go to Numbers chapter 20, I'll join y'all over there. Numbers chapter 20, verse 10 to 12. In that verse, it gave us a very, very good view of what is going on. Okay, so... God told Moses to strike, I mean, to talk to the stone when he was bringing the Israelites because they were thirsty. And God told Moses that, okay, Moses, I'm giving you this job. I know I've already given you a bunch of jobs to do, but I want you to do just one job for me. I want you to just talk to the rock, just talk to the rock, and water will come out of it. As a human, sometimes we get frustrated about ourselves or I mean, I think teachers are here. They can reveal kids are so frustrated in the classroom, but they tell them to do one thing, they just 
It makes the teacher just goes all the way to 100. You know, so this is what happened to Moses. But God told him, Moses, I want you to talk to the rock. And what did happen? Moses struck the rock. God, why, why did you, why did Moses not need to, I mean, God, really? Moses did the job also. Right now, our whole point that we're going to go through is, it's going to also come all the way back to the main topic, which is why is God so particular? But Moses did the job. When he struck the rock, the water came out of it. It helped them. The people didn't die. I mean, when your mom told you, hey, I want you to go to the microwave and then just put the popcorn in, in for 10 minutes, and then you just want to go and then you put in for two minutes, and by the time you realize the popcorn has just turned black, I mean, are you going to eat it or not? Your mom is going to be mad at you. It's the same thing that God is going to be mad at you. Do you know it is crazy that the way God looks at us, God wants us to do things for him that he tried to make it easy and simple for us as a human being. But as a human being, we always want to just jump out of the truck. You know, we always want to not listen to God. It's like, okay, I'm going to do it, but I'm just going to do it just 50%, and then I'll add my ingredient to it. If you go to Leviticus chapter 10, Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 to 1 and 2, it talks about Nahum and Nebahu. I'm saying the name wrong, but sorry about that. So, so if it goes there, that kind of gives us the heads up on this next lesson. That Nahum and Nebahu, God gave them a job to do. If you are a priest, you know, God gives you a certain job for you to do. And that job was as also, they helped. God told them, okay, I want you to use this ingredient to burn. Okay, that's good. God just told them to do this. But God didn't tell them to go use cedar wood to burn the offerings. But guess what? God struck them. I mean, they did the job. It works. The meat burned and stuff. But what happened? God punished them. When God wants you to do something, he wants you to do it 100%. Just don't go through any shortcut. If you go to 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 40, 47 to 48. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 47 to 48. That talks about King Saul, how God rejected King Saul. King Saul was, was defeating the enemy of Israelite. He, he was un, unfaithful king to God. I mean, God picked King Saul in the first place. If you go all the way how Israelites wanted king, God picks him. There were two kings that actually God picks them, and one was, you know, him. He was the first king for the Israelite. God picks him. God told King Saul to go over there and just, you know, it may sound really funny or it may sound really crazy, but God told him, just go and demolish the whole city. He didn't just say, okay, when you just go and you just demolish half of it, 
and then you take the goods and bring it. I mean, if you look at it in the Bible, sometimes God tells them to go do something. He tells them, bring the goods and then use it. But also sometimes he tells them, okay, I want you to do this instead of this. When he told them, and that is when also King Saul started to do the blaming game, you know, blaming on his troops. I mean, you're the leader, come on. I thought, I mean, like, troops were supposed to, like, obey their leader, but apparently he's actually letting the troops controlling him. Beside that, God told him to do another job, and he didn't do it right. Just wait. Just wait and let Samuel come and then make the offerings before you go for the fight. And he didn't wait. If you go to 1 Samuel again, over there in chapter 15, verse 1 and 3, and then you can stay over there in verse 7 and 17, I mean 11. Sorry about that. God loved God. Why will you reject King Saul? Have you owned, have you owned, he, I mean, he has owned many battles for you. I mean, God, why will you reject him? He has owned many battles for you. The nation has been unfit under King Saul. We defeated the Amalekites. Why can't you, why can't we take ourselves what we want? You know, God, why can't we take whatever we want? I mean, have you ever go through your parents, actually, when your parents says, uh, go do this, and then you turn around like, mom, come on, I'm going to do this. You know something bad is going to happen. I'm not going to say anything, but you know something bad is going to happen because you're not, you're not supposed to talk back to your mom in the first place when she already told you or he already told you that, go do this, and then you just jump around and go do the next one. Unless... It's something that is against God's will. Then you have the right, as God also tells us that, if your parents are trying to get you away from God, then you have the right to. But don't just jump in front of your mom and say, okay, God is telling me not to do this. So I'm not going to do it. That would be a bad idea. And don't mention my name. Okay, so in the first place when we're talking right now, I gave you some example of why God wants us to why God wants us to be, God is particular on stuff. Now I'm going to give you some reason why God is punishing all these people that I mentioned. If you go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 and 17, which is about Adam and Eve. God was so particular concerning his instruction with Adam and Eve because he did not do what he told him to do. You know, God told them to do something, and they did not do it. He loves Adam and Eve by creating them. I mean, if he didn't love them, he wouldn't have created them. In the, you know how it goes when God said, okay, it's not good for man to live alone, so I'm going to make him a helper. When he made him a helper, okay, when the problem came, what happened? Adam just, it's like he rejected the helper that he made, which also... It was his duty as a man. You are in the house. She's in your house, so she's under you. People are thinking in different way that okay, so Adam wasn't there when Eve was eating the fruit. But if you read the verse very careful, it said after she ate it 
and it was good. She turned around and gave it to Adam. So what happened over there? He was there, but he watched his wife and let her control the house or control him, which God told him not to. And God told them not to even, I, I think he told them not to get close there. But I mean, as a humans again, we are curious and we want to know what happened. Moses, when he struck the rock, okay, when we go to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 48 to 52. Moses, I instructed you to lead the great nation from slavery. Moses, I instructed you to lead my people and be example of faith. Wait, what's going on? God has instructed him for some specific reason. He wants him to be a leader for them. That's a, I mean, that's a really big deal. I think most people are here to play a lot of games. If you're a leader, it's a really big deal. Also, I guess in our country nowadays, when you're a leader, I guess it's kind of like crazy. People think it's a big deal. If you ask a kid when you grow up, when do you want to be? They're like, I want to be a president. I mean, good luck, but you know, Sometimes there's some flaws that you, people are going to judge you, even if you do good or do bad. You just got to be careful, and you just have to follow God's will. If you go to Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. That over there, I will join y'all over there if you don't mind. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 1. I mean, that is it. Sometimes, as a humans, we think it's okay for us to do things that God will not see. In my country, this is kind of like interesting. You may not understand the language. I may try to say it, but you may not understand it. There was two kids, and then they were, both of them was hungry, but in order for them to eat, there is an orange tree I mean, if you've ever seen a, an actual orange tree, they have spikes on it. So one was very careful to manage to get on top of the orange tree. And when he get on top of the orange tree, he got the orange down. But the sad thing is, he don't know how, he forgot how he got over there. So now he's crying on top. And the one that was on the bottom is crying to God, help him to get down. And when... I guess, you know, when they figured a way to get down, which in their point of view, they say, God's help my friend to get down. He got out, and then he was like, are you really going to give God all what you say? And you're like, come on. I was just joking to God. He's not going to be taking it serious. You know, when you tell God that you're going to do something, you have to be very careful, and you have also have to be on your word. I mean, I think there's some people here that are fishermen or hunters and stuff. If you're a parent and you said, okay, son, I'm going to take you fishing this Saturday. Oh, I'm going to take you hunting this Saturday. And then the Saturday came, and then you got a call from your buddy. I don't know, let's say you got a call from Billy. And Billy was like, hey, do you want to go play football with us? And then he turned around, and then the dad was like, oh, son, sorry about that. I got to go play football. What just happened in the first place? You just lost half of your trust from your child. When you tell the child that you're going to do something, you have to be like 100%. And you have to mean your word down, okay, I'm going to do it. It's the same way that you have to look at it as 
if God tells you to do something, don't just jump around or don't just do a shortcut. Because if you do a shortcut, there's always a consequence after that. They, all, they did the offering in Leviticus chapter 1 for God. Why was God so particular about how he wants them to worship him? I mean, why does God want to be so specific about the way he wants them to worship him? If you go, if you go to Leviticus chapter 10 verse 3, it gives you something, and it tells you like some punishment that they go through, but it also it tells you that God was so particular that because of that, he was holy. And if God is holy, what happened? He wants us to be holy too, and he wants us, to, if you're going to come to God, you have to be holy. Okay, let's look at it in this way. When our King David was bringing the tabernacle, God gave them a specific I mean, instruction. Do not put the tabernacle in like in a four-wheeler or do not put the tabernacle, you know, in a baggie or do not put the tabernacle in like a limousine, I guess. Don't put in any fancy thing. He wants you to carry it and those people that are going to carry it, he gives specific people to carry it. But what happened? The tabernacle was failing down. Somebody was willing to, I guess, maybe it would have squeezed him to death, but, you know, he was just willing to save it. But instead, God struck him down. It wasn't like, okay, I don't like you. Don't touch this. I'm going to kill you. No. God was specific that, okay, I don't want these people to touch it. And also, I don't want you to carry it this way. But after David realized what was going on, and then he went and apologized to God, which is the same way that sometimes we need to do. I mean, not sometimes. We always need to do. But we take it in the different way that when... We do something that we, strong, we run away from God, and then when God punishes us, then we start to whine about it. I mean, some people, parents will be here, you know, I'll give you a little. Like, I came here not just because, you know, in a different way, but my mom loves me. She spends a lot of money to adopt me and my sister here. It wasn't just like, you know, okay, he looks okay. I'm just going to grab him, you know. A lot of people just ask me, so how did you get here? I'll be like, okay, I just got kidnapped by a white lady. So, hey, she loves it. It's not like in their bad way, but, you know, I admire my mom and I appreciate everything that she's done for me, you know. But sometimes she'll tell me to do something, and she knows, you know, I will do it sometimes. I forget, and then I will lose track. But in the point of view, it's the same thing. God tells us to do something sometimes, and then we lost off track, and then instead of coming back on the track, we just ignore it. And the only way for him to get us back on it is he has to discipline us. And when he disciplines us, then we start to whine about it. If you read in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, It gives you like a very excellent view of a way that we can be with God. God is particular because he wants us to go to heaven. And he wants us to obey his will. I mean, in order for you to go to heaven, you have to do God's will. And also you have to obey his commandment. 
Some people say, okay, there's a way you can go to heaven, you know, just reading your Bible and also doing this and doing this. But, I mean, it's good for you to read your Bible because it's, you have to read your Bible so you can give a defense in case somebody is trying to get your mind out of what they think is different from what you believe, you know. But when you read the Bible also, you have to be careful not just to put your words in it because the Bible also tells us that if he takes out of from the Bible, then he's going to take your name out of the book of life. So you got to be very, very curious on how you're going to say something. Okay, so we go to, sorry, I said okay. When you go to 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Verse 1 and 3, I'm sorry, verse 1 and 3. When King Saul was rejected, Lord commanded God, I mean, I'm sorry. So God tells him to do a specific job, and he commanded him, okay, I want you to do this task. Okay, let's look at it in this point of view. There's a lot of militaries in here. And when your commander or the leader who's above you tells you, okay, I want you to go do this job, they may have a good reason. You know, when you're, gonna, when you're going to attack somebody, you don't just, okay, I'm going to attack you. So I'm just, and then you just jump. What happens if you don't plan a strategy how you're going to attack the person? And you go, you're going to go die. It's the same way when God tells him to do something. God has already planned something in front of you that why you're coming. And he wants you to be just curious. Uh, I mean, not curious. Be careful how you're going to. And he wants you to do the way he wants you to do it because God knows better. I mean, you may think you're genius than God. I mean, you may be genius than Einstein, but not God. I mean, I don't even know if you'd be genius than Einstein, but I would want to see that. Sometimes when you're driving, I know I, I drive. There's a lot of teenagers here that drive, you know, and adults that drive. When you're on the road and then you have somebody who's lazy, or uh, I don't know, they be on their phone, or they may be talking to their girlfriend, or maybe... The, the girlfriend just break up with them, and then they're mad on the road coming. Okay, cool. Your girlfriend break up with you, just get out of the road, okay? I'm sorry, but you may be risking your life, but don't risk my life. When you're driving and when you're on the road, the point is, you know, God is with you when you're on the road. You have to be very curious, and you have to be very respect to the people that are on the road. You may not value your life, but the person that is next to you or coming or behind you, their life is important, and God has a plan for them in the future. So when you're having a bad day or when you think something bad is going on, you know, you just stop on the side of the road and then just cool down, or just stop, and then just call somebody to come pick you up. But just don't call me because you may not trust me. In First Kings, I mean, sorry, First Samuel chapter 15, verse 22 and 23. King Saul, King Saul have, 
have many sacrifice and price. You know, he done many sacrifices. I mean, sometimes we do things that we think is very important or we think is right. I mean, he may think it's right, you know, in his point of view by doing the sacrificing, going under God's authority and doing the sacrifice. I mean, you and me may, may did the same thing that he does when we under the pressure. I mean, if you're under pressure, then your heart is going like 100 miles per hour, and then you're like, okay, I just got to do something, you know, just to let these people to believe in me because, I mean, you are the leader, but also you have to remember that there's a higher leader above you, which is God. And when God tells you to do something or wait, when he tells you to wait, it, it may be like uh, 20 hours or it may be like 24 hours or something like that. You still have to wait because there may be a better chances that he's going to give you than you're going to go. You may lose like 100 or 30 troops. And then the parents or the family of the person that's going to die is going to turn around and going to blame the country or blame God, which may be your fault, or not you, but I'm talking about the soul, you know, maybe your fault because you didn't listen to God in the first place, and then you think you do better if you do it well without God. Okay, so have you turned your back up on me? The people follows you and sees you. You know, when King Saul, he turns his back on God, but in the other way also, God is higher above you. God pulled you in the first place. He put you there. So if you're doing something bad, you're also doing it against God. So the only way for God to let the people know that you're doing something wrong is for him to punish you or take you out of the seat. You know, and nowadays we may think, okay, our leaders are not doing something wrong. So we are the citizen, and the citizen are the one who put the leader there. But also, it doesn't mean that you may not like your leader, so you just go and do something bad. God wants us to respect our leaders, no matter what circumstances. But we should, I mean, we may not agree with them for their role, but the best thing for us to do is to pray for them that they will have a better mindset and next time they will do better when they're over there or the next generation who's going to come will do better. I think some of my friends did uh, read some of the verses for me in Proverbs 29, 18. They did the, they read the verses for me so I may not go back on it again. If, but if you don't mind and if you want to read it again to refresh your mind and stuff. And also... Sometimes I may say this or I may not say this. Every verse that I may say it over here, I don't want you to take my words of it. I want you to, I mean, you to look at it and read it, and also when I finish and when I leave here or I'm going in, so you can tell me, okay, write a note and tell me, hey, you were off of this note. I don't mind you telling me because that is how I can know that I'm doing something wrong or that is how I can learn from it. But I just don't want you to take my words and then you go around to teach someone else and then you quote the same verse and it may be different verse, you know. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse nine and 11, 
God is so particular that his rules are to help us. I mean, he gave us the rule that is to help us to be better. This is a very good analogy. I may not, it may not be the right way for me to say, but this will be a good analogy. Why do our parents tell us, us as a child not to touch the stove? It's not that they, want, they don't want us to go eat the food that is in the stove or to go eat the food that is in there. Why are, why are they particular about the rule they give it to us? It's not just because they just feel like giving us rule. It's because they want us to be good. Our parents want us to be good. They want us to be safe. That's why they tell you, hey, I don't want you to touch this stove because it's hot. I mean, you should know when the vapors are coming out, but when you're a child, you don't realize it until you feel it because when you're a child, all what you want to do is you want to touch and you want to see, you know, and also put it in your mouth. But in Proverbs 14, God versus man I mean, I'm sorry, God's ways are good for man. In Matthew chapter 6, no man can serve two masters. I mean, we should know that, you know, you can't serve God and also serve money. You can't serve God and also serve God, I mean, sorry, serve God and also serve your car. You can't love your car more than your wife. You can't love your job more than what? Your family. Family comes first, same as God comes first in everything we do. In my point of view, God, then family, and then so on and so on. But yours may be different. You may be God, family, and then hunting and fishing and stuff, but which should be fun, but you know, if it's a person target, I may shoot it, but if it's something else, I'll miss it. But God is really good to us in many ways that when he tells us to do his will, we should not take a shortcut. Because when you take a shortcut, there's always a consequence. The consequence, you may not like it, but guess what? It's your fault. Thank you. I appreciate Daniel for speaking tonight, and thank you for those examples Daniel used. Those are good. Those are four good examples of seeing and showing that God commands us to do things a particular way, a way that He commands us in order that we will obey Him. But it's not just so He can see His commands be done, but to see His commands be done correctly, because He loves us and He cares for us. He wants us to be safe. He wants us to grow in the nurture and admonition of Him. And Daniel mentioned a verse tonight, or a scripture text I want to bring you to. It's Hebrews chapter 12. I want everybody to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 so we can all bring this lesson together. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, are some very important verses in talking about God's love for his people, but also explains why God gives us commands and why God tells us to do things in a particular way, in a specific way and pattern. And I want to read these to you. 
Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5, says, and, you, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when, he, when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the, fathers, to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all, disciple, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields to the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When I was in high school, I played football, and I enjoyed it very much. And Billy, if you want to call me and throw the football around, I'd be glad to do that any time. But when I was in high school, I played football, and I had a friend named Patrick. And Patrick was a couple years older than me, and Patrick had a rough upbringing. Patrick's dad was a drunk. Patrick's dad abused him at times. He was not very nice. He would go away for certain days and come back. You wouldn't know what he's doing. And you could tell it took a toll on Patrick. But once you got to talking to Patrick, we played football together. He was number one, he's a good player. Number two, he was really a good guy. Sure, he made mistakes. Who did he have to follow? His dad? Not really. His dad was pitiful. But one thing I noticed, I asked Patrick one day, and the coaches asked him, he said, Patrick, why do you love football so much? He said, because football, he sit there and thought a minute, he said, football is the only guidance I ever had in life. He said, the coach asked me to do something, I'd do it. He said, I look, at, I look at our football team as a family. He said, because that's really the only family I ever had. He said, I know when they say for me to do something, it's for the betterment of the team or for the betterment of the family. He said, I know when I'm given a command, I will execute that command as great as much as I can. He said, I'm not going to let my team down. That was a great attitude for Patrick to have because in his mind, that was the only guidance he had received in that direction of life, of discipline. A couple of years ago, I get a call from one of my friends. We were, there was four of us really good friends with Patrick. I get a call and Patrick had been shot and killed. And I think back in all the times that Patrick looked and said that football was his guy and he enjoyed playing it so much because of the appreciation he had for that family. Well, what's sad is I didn't give Patrick the guidance he really need was the guidance of the Word of God and to show him what a father really was to be like in his life. If I only knew to take him to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11, and to be able to show him, as Daniel told you tonight, why God is so specific, why God is so particular in his commands, because number one, he loves us. Number two, he cares for us. Number three, he wants us to succeed. And number four, he wants us to be with him one day in heaven. You see, that's why God's so particular and specific. Because God wants to see you succeed in life. And I love how the Hebrew writer mentions several of these things about discipline. He says, for discipline, God is treating you as sons, first of all. He says, don't regard lightly in verse 5, the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Why is that? Daniel mentioned tonight that sometimes when we get disciplined by God is that we, we begin to complain. You see that over and over with the children of Israel, they complain about God bringing discipline upon them. It would be better off if we were in Egypt. It would be better off if we never left here, God. Why is it that you give us so much trouble? 
It's not that God's giving you trouble. It's God's trying to correct you through his love. He's also gracious to you as well. Hebrews chapter 12 also mentions the relationship of a father and a son, an earthly father and son. And one thing that's very interesting to me is it says in verse 9, we have earthly fathers who discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not more be subject to the father of spirits and live? If you respected your father and your mother as they brought you up and you look back as I do now and appreciate why they taught you certain things, you think about your relationship with God then. God is far greater than my mom and dad will ever be. Why is it I don't obey God and listen to his commands? Why is it I don't take them fully as I do with my parents? And you skip on down to verse 10. While they disciplined us as our parents the short times that seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. That's a key phrase there. We may share his holiness. We may share his righteousness. You see, those who do the will of the Father will be counted as righteous. Those who do the will of the Father will be those who walk in the pathways of righteousness. They'll be counted as right. The world will see that as well. People knew when you obeyed your father and mother. It was not easy to see. I mean, it, it wasn't easy to pick up. It wasn't difficult to understand that. I knew who obeyed their father and mother in school. I don't know who does it in a youth group. Most of the, All of them do, by the way. They do a good job. But you also can tell people who doesn't obey their father in heaven. That's easy to pick up as well. Verse 11 is powerful. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Of course it does. No one likes to be disciplined. No one likes to be told what to do in life. Everybody wants to be their own master. No one wants to be the servant. But if you look at that spiritually, we should desire to be servants to the Most High God. Because it says, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As Daniel pointed out those four examples tonight, and he looked at their lives, and we took, he took the worldly approach at first, and he asked the questions, God, why do I have to do exactly the way you want it? Why can't I do it my way? The people still benefit. Why is it that I have to do it? Well, do the people really benefit? When you have the example of King Saul, when he was told to utterly destroy the Amalekites, but yet he spared the best flocks, he spared the king. Who suffered later? Not, king, not just King Saul, but his men and soldiers. When Adam and Eve were told not to eat of every fruit in the garden, but just of one fruit do not touch. Not so hard to do, is it? It's very particular, God. Why do you want them to do that way? It's fruit. It's good to eat, right? No. I told you not to eat of it because I love you and I care for you. And I've got to be able to trust you as well as my children. I've got to be able to trust you with the gospel as well of Christ. And he used several other examples, but I think you get the point. You see... When we are disciplined by God, we will do wrong. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that. And we understand that we are brought back to God and we are justified by His Son. And we ask for forgiveness, but we must understand there will be discipline. Not discipline out of anger, but discipline out of love. Because He loves us. He wants us to learn. As it says here, He wants you to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. He understands we need training to succeed. So my job tonight in finishing up is why should I follow God? We see that God loves us. He cares for us. He wants us to be safe in this world. He also wants us to succeed spiritually. 
but why should I follow God? I think those reasons are enough already, but I want to take you through some more as well. The question is now, will I follow God? Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 4 says, You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. You see, if I understand the nature of God, if I understand the things that Daniel pointed out tonight and I understand and accept those in my life and I desire to have a relationship with God, we must come to understand and come to know that, there, that we must obey him. Not only do we obey him, but we must walk after him. We must seek God in all that we do and hold fast to him. When we decide we walk, to God, with, walk with God, we must become obedient to his ways. And when you become obedient to God, it makes it easier to distinguish your pathways in life. There are two. The first pathway, you follow God and you stay on the road to salvation, the road to heaven. The other pathway is the one the world will show you. The other pathway is the more popular pathway. It's a wider pathway and there's a lot of people that go down that road. But here's what God has to say about that in Romans chapter 6 when examining the two pathways. Romans 6 and verse 15 says this, What then are we to sin? We are not to be under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves? You are slaves of the one to which you either obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. He said, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you are once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in guards to righteousness. But what fruit are you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Roman writer says two pathways. One, you become a slave to the world. Even though that might be the most popular pathway, even though that might be the one that's most gratifying and it shows momentary happiness, he says that pathway will lead down, will boil down to evil. He says that pathway will boil down to sin. But the second pathway he mentions in there, freedom. But it requires obedience to God. He says the second pathway we can clearly see and understand is it a life that will lead to God based upon freedom and separation from sin in our past life. So when one decides to make a change in their life, when one decides to go down God's road, the desire to walk with God is there, and they understand they have to go on the pathway of righteousness and walk with him daily, there's also another decision that needs to be made. And that's the decision of Repentance. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption which is in Jesus Christ. Well, see, we understand and we clearly see through these verses here that in order to walk down this road with God, the pathway of righteousness, that there are some changes that have to be made. 
You see, God's ways are not man's ways. His ways are higher than man, as we know the scripture tells us. What this requires is that I no longer can be part of sin, and I cannot dwell in it. In order to be with God, I must follow his ways. I must get away from those pathways as much as I can. In order to attain a life with God, I must turn away from my old life and commit to him fully. Galatians 2 and 20 says it best. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Upon acknowledging the sin in your life, upon making a change, deciding I will no longer be a slave to sin, but I will be a slave to righteousness and for God's sake. I will serve him the rest of my life. When you make that change, when you turn around on that road and you walk down the pathway of righteousness with God, you will be different. He said, first of all, you will crucify the old you, the one that lived for the world, and you will put on righteousness through God. He says, you will be living for God. Once we make that pledge and we acknowledge that God, and we acknowledge that we will walk with him, not only acknowledge it before God, but we must acknowledge it before men. And this is where our confession of faith comes in. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. One thing we must understand is this confession, we do it each and every time. We see it come down, you come up to the front, and you say, Jesus is, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That is not a one-time confession. That confession truly has to be made each and every day of your life. Each and every day you wake up, and the way you talk, the way you act, and the way you go about your business and life, you are making that same confession each and every moment of life. If you truly believe Jesus is the Son of God, then you will let the world know who he really is by your actions and by your words and by your deed. It's upon that confession of faith that we are told then to be washed from our sins by the blood of Christ. And this is, as you say, we know is the last step as many of us were referenced to, but it's really not. But Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4 says, Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Can you imagine what that life would be? Many of you know what that life is. And you are walking in those footsteps now. I wish I could go back and talk to Patrick. I wish I could show him, yeah, football was a great thing. And it taught him many things in life that he knew. Even though he didn't have a father to lead him, he had coaches that loved him and players that loved him as a family. But I wish I could go back and talk to Patrick about Hebrews 12. I wish I could take him down to the book of Romans and to really show what it means to be part of God's family. You see, with God's family, what you get to see is we understand that we are... At able to be buried with Christ. And what that burial means is it's a burial to your old life and your old self and living for the world. And when you raise up, you are a new creature in God. You are washed and you are made whole. There is no sin that is there again that's attached to you. It is fully cleansed and made whole. I wish I could have told him that. I wish he didn't have to dwell on his past and make the same mistakes as his dad did. 
You see, once we're washed from sins, we also gain God as our Father. See, God will guide us and direct us in each and every pathway we have in life. He will take us to the right road that will lead to Him. There will be people that will be in your life as well. God surrounds us with a church family that we have here tonight. Brothers and sisters who love you, who care deeply about you, and who support you in your walk with God. But there also is brothers and sisters along with God that will also discipline you with love. And I don't want us to be afraid of that word discipline. Because if you look back in Hebrews chapter 12, it says we value that discipline. Even though as it said in verse 11, or verse 11 it says, For the moment discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But if people would understand this last point. But later that discipline yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Don't ever be afraid of God's discipline. Oh, it's going to hurt at times. Yes, but how do you think he felt when you sinned against him? It hurt him just as bad. See, we must come to understand and know that God's discipline will lead to righteousness. God's discipline will lead to a better life. The momentary affliction will be nothing compared to what he has in store for us later on when our life ends question is, will we commit to God? You see, we already understand. And Daniel showed you exactly why God is so particular. is because he loves you. Because he cares for you. Because he wants you to succeed and to be with him throughout eternity. But we also understand that that decision is going to be up to us and us alone. We've taken you through the steps of the plan of salvation. We've known those. We say them each and every time. But the question is, will you pledge your allegiance to God and will you make that great confession of faith? It is the greatest decision one will ever make to put on Christ in baptism. And once you do that, not only do you gain God as your Father, and His direction is found throughout the Scriptures, He gives you a guidebook on how to live your life through the Bible, but you also gain a family of God, one that supports and cares for you, and one that will lead you down the pathway of righteousness and point you the way into heaven just as God does as well. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, if you want to become a Christian, become part of that family, the greatest family the world has ever seen and the world will ever know, I encourage you to come now as we stand and